Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod, our bi-weekly deep dive into the big issues facing us today. And one of the biggest issues, and maybe the one that scares us the most, is what the hell is going on with Iran? Is this madman Donald Trump about to take us into war with Iran? And what should we be doing with Iran? Well, nobody better to ask than Ambassador Wendy Sherman. She's the former Under Secretary of State under President Obama and the person who negotiated the Iran nuclear deal for the United States. Ambassador, it's good to see you. Thanks Always for joining us. Always great to see you, Bill. Thank you for coming. I want to ask you about some of the foreign policy hotspots uh, on the planet these days, but let me start, if I can, with a more general question. How do you see America's position in the world today after two and a half years of Donald Trump? Uh, Concerning, challenging. Uh, You know, America, everywhere I traveled when I was the Undersecretary of State uh, for Political Affairs, under President Obama, and everywhere I've traveled since, people always say, we will do our part, but we need America to lead. Uh, America was seen, as Ronald Reagan said, that shining city on the hill, uh, the place of hope uh, that had a certain moral authority, and obviously the economy, the military power, the diplomatic power to really exert a lot of influence at every table around the world. Uh, Now, people aren't so sure of any of that anymore. Uh, It is not just uh, Donald Trump saying it's about America first, uh, which harkens back to World War II in a time of anti-Semitism and uh, Nazi Germany. Uh, But they also see that we're pulling away from our moral responsibilities, that we're pulling away from our leadership in the world, and that is quite concerning. Do you... Is there a Trump foreign policy? I mean, for as many problems as we had with it, George W. Bush did enunciate a foreign policy. Barack Obama did. Is there a Trump foreign policy? I think the Trump foreign policy is whatever the president's impulses take him to at a given moment or a given given day. We have a tweet set of tactics Uh, not really a strategy and a policy. And indeed, it appears that the president's national security advisor, John Bolton, does have a strategy, and that's basically to wage every war he might be able to get into. Um, Secretary Pompeo, our secretary of state, I believe has a policy in the sense that he is uh, very committed to a vision of America that really comes out of the 1950s, predominating the world, a, if you'll pardon me, white male Christian view of the world, maybe not even a Judeo-Christian view of the world. Uh, and so it's, it's very problematic. And the president 
uh, I believe, really doesn't want to go to war around the world. He campaigned to get America out of Syria and out of Afghanistan and out of Iraq and out of places and to really focus on the American economy and American jobs. Um, but he is being or allowing himself uh, to be dragged in all kinds of directions. And even though some people believe he's got some kind of a madman theory, I think it's tactical, not strategic. Right. Um, is there any room for diplomacy in the Trump approach to foreign affairs? Uh, I find it hard to find diplomacy <laughs> in the Trump's approach to foreign affairs. You know, diplomacy often works best with a credible threat of force. Mm -hmm. But that notion of coercion, coercive diplomacy means you have both the coercion and the diplomacy. For Donald Trump, we seem to be all, all coercion and no diplomacy. Right. Um, what do you... so? You're still, you and Secretary Albright and Oka, I've spoken with, are still in touch with many world leaders. And what do they, what do they tell you privately? I mean, what do they think of this White House? And uh, privately, and even some of them publicly, uh, just don't know what to believe out of this White House. They do believe the only one who matters is Donald Trump. Uh, I've said to some of his negotiators, whom I know, is when I negotiated for President Obama and President Clinton, I always knew what the right and left margins were. I knew the rug wouldn't be pulled out from under me. No negotiator for Donald Trump can rely on that. They might be walking down a road that's helping us solve a problem, and the president might change his mind and pull the rug out from under them. So most world leaders think if they aren't in touch with Donald Trump, they aren't in touch with the United States of America, uh, they know he's erratic. They know he's impulsive. Uh, they know they can't trust necessarily what they hear. And the most disturbing, Bill, is that a lot of leaders are heading elsewhere. They've decided they can't deal with the United States very effectively. They know they have to acknowledge our strong economy, our strong military. Uh, but they are looking for other allies and other partners. Uh, and a lot of them are heading toward China. So on issues where they depended on or counted on the leadership for the United States, they no longer can. They feel they no longer can, yes. And that is very disturbing. You know, I completely understand why Americans want to make sure that we pay attention to our country and our needs. There are a lot of people who have been left out and left behind because of technology or trade, and we haven't had sufficiently good answers for those people. I understand the anxiety people have when folks who are brown uh, or other colors or have different lifestyles are part of our communities because they feel alienated and like they no longer have the power they once did. And we have to address the anxieties that Americans have and their grievances. But nothing substitutes for American leadership because of the values that underpin that leadership or have underpinned that leadership, and uh, it is a great risk that that is no longer predominant in the world. And, and what does that say about the people and the great institution that you worked for, um, the State Department? What shape is the State Department in today? The State Department has been hollowed out. Uh, Secretary uh, Tillerson, when he was Secretary of State, for reasons that I absolutely cannot fathom, uh, maybe it was an engineer's uh, 
box approach to looking at the organization. I have no idea. Uh, but he decided that he wanted to reduce the footprint of an already small institution, an institution that, of course, needed some reform. But nonetheless, 60% of the senior foreign service, uh, diplomats whom have worked for Democrat and Republican presidents, uh, were tossed out. Either they were pushed out or they resigned because they had no future except for the Freedom of Information Office. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, uh, he stopped incoming classes for a while. Uh, he undermined the civil servants that worked there. And people thought when Secretary Pompeo came in, who on his first day said how important the diplomats were, how important the civil service were, that maybe things would change, but they haven't changed very much. Uh, and as a result, uh, Secretary Pompeo have name, has named some special envoys to get around the confirmation process. Uh, but again, the full uh, toolbox available to this nation uh, is not at our disposal. And aren't there still important positions, important assistant secretaryships or ambassadors that have not been many named? Am many ambassadors, uh, many assistant secretaries, uh, some of the undersecretaries. So we are really without the bench uh, that has always made us so powerful in the past. When I uh, was honored to lead the negotiating team on the Iran nuclear deal, known as the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, um, we just had the most extraordinary bench. We could do more than anyone. We had hundreds of people in our government who backed up our efforts technically, legally, in intelligence and defense, every way possible. Um, we no longer can bring that kind of bench to the table uh, with the authority that we once did. Which gets us to maybe the number one hot spot in the world's in our attention today, which is Iran. Um, in the wake of what I think was the signature accomplishment of the Obama administration, that and the Paris Accords, mm -hmm. the Iran nuclear deal, which you led negotiations for that. Um, and now, are we going to about to go to war with Iran? I hope not. I, I don't think the president wants to go to war with Iran, but he keeps on allowing himself to be put in a corner so that, uh, that we have narrowed the space for diplomacy. The recent round of sanctions, uh, the threat to, and perhaps by the time this broadcast appears, uh, having sanctioned uh, the foreign minister of Iran, who really would be the negotiator if the president got the dialogue he says he wants, uh, we're just really in a much tougher spot. The Europeans have tried to hold this deal together. Uh, they have been meeting to try to find a solution. But the space for diplomacy continues to narrow, and that does not leave one with many options. The president has a very interesting negotiating style. It's what we call sort of a win-lose style. When you're a real estate developer, win-lose works because you're either going to build the building or you're going to go on and build another building. War and peace, international negotiations are what are called three-dimensional negotiations, in my view, multi-dimensional negotiations where you have to look at the whole landscape. So whether it's a trade negotiation with China, when we're still trying to get China to help us with North Korea, China to be on side with what we might want to do with Iran, uh, China to deal with issues with Taiwan, with Hong Kong, with the South China Sea, you have to look at the whole landscape and decide how you're going to play that particular Rubik's Cube as the pieces move around. The president is very tactical. He's very transactional. He's very win-lose. So whether it is Venezuela, North Korea, 
China trade or Iran. Uh, it's either my way or the highway. Uh, fire and fury. Now I want to talk and nothing happens. Right. So the Iran nuclear deal, is it, people are confused, I think, is it in, still in place today? Is it working even without the United States um, being part of it? Uh, and is Iran keeping up its end of the deal? The most extraordinary thing, and uh, something that says something very good about the deal, is that it has remained durable for over a year since the United States pulled out of the deal. So Iran has been complying completely with the deal up until now. But Iran has said, because of the president's actions, uh, that they now will begin to uh, probably move to technical non-compliance with the deal. Uh, whether it is a complete violation of the deal remains to be seen because we don't have a report from the International Atomic Energy Agency which inspects and monitors what goes on in Iran. Uh, so we will wait to see what they say when Iran has actually crossed lines mm -hmm. in the deal. Uh, but uh, we're certainly getting to a place where Iran, saying that it is taking reciprocal action to the U.S. actions, begins to ultimately erode the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. Right. Maybe you can explain, which I have never been able to understand, and that is we want neither Iran nor North Korea to become a nuclear power. We want each of them to give up their pursuit of nuclear weapons. Iran did, and we, we treat them horribly and, and threaten war. North Korea has not, and yet we're buddy-buddy with Kim Jong-un. You're exactly right. It's what not am I missing here? You're missing that President Obama did not negotiate a deal with North Korea, but he did negotiate a deal with Iran. And, uh, Donald, and they agreed to do what we want North Korea to do, correct? Uh, uh, and more so. Uh, Iran never had nuclear weapons. Uh, it certainly understood the nuclear fuel cycle. Uh, it certainly had, and still has, tremendous capabilities because you can't bomb away knowledge they had mastered the entire nuclear fuel cycle. So it was of great concern um, that they had a tech capability that was approaching uh, the possibility of having nuclear weapons. North Korea has nuclear yes. weapons and the means to deliver those nuclear weapons. Um, Iran has neither and certainly hasn't married uh, a warhead with a missile. Uh, so you're quite right, it makes no sense whatsoever to have a bromance with a horrific dictator uh, who has nuclear weapons and to um, have a maximum pressure campaign against someone who had agreed to forswear to never have nuclear weapons. Uh, and the president says that he calls the, the deal the worst deal ever made, blah, blah, whatever, is because there were too many other things Iran was doing that you did not address in this deal. They were supporting terrorist organizations and you that the the, the, the nuclear deal with Iran doesn't deal with that. And, and your response? My response is, he's correct that the nuclear deal does not deal with Iran's malign behavior in the Middle East. It does not deal with its human rights abuses against its citizens. It does not deal with Americans who are in, in prison in Iran or missing uh, in Iran. A lot of other A issues. A lot of other issues. It's, it's uh, state sponsorship of terrorism, lots of horrible things. 
but that was very conscious for a couple of really important reasons. If you try to do everything in one deal, you can end up with the mediocre middle on everything. So Iran might have said, okay, we'll give Hezbollah, one of their proxies, their terrorist proxies, less money, but then we want to use more advanced centrifuges in the development of our nuclear program. So you end up not dealing with Hezbollah and you don't deal with the nuclear program either. Uh, secondly, um, President Obama, I think, made the right decision, which is we need to get the nuclear weapons off the table first and then use all of our other sanctions tools, which remained, uh, to deal with the state sponsorship of terrorism, their malign behavior in the region, their human rights abuses, etc. cetera. Uh, because if Iran had a nuclear weapon, their ability to project power into the Middle East to deter our actions would have been profound. So I think the president made the right decision. As a result, uh, it still took us uh, in the real uh, negotiations uh, nearly two years. Mm -hmm. The Europeans had started negotiating in the early 2000s, so this was a decade of negotiating. It was 110 pages long. Uh, so trying to absorb every other thing, uh, we'd still be negotiating today. When the president talks about the military option, and John Bolton, of course, that, that wanted to bomb Iran for decades, I think, whatever, um, some people may get the impression that war against Iran would be like war, uh, the war in Iraq over in a couple of weeks. What's the reality? The reality is that Iran is a very large country. It has a capable military. Uh, even more importantly, it has an almost independent military in the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps and the Quds Force, uh, who are quite extraordinary in a bad way when it comes to asymmetric warfare, uh, terrorism, uh, and um, really being able to do quite a bit of damage in, with very little in terms of resources. Uh, we also just saw Iran shoot down an unmanned uh, drone, American drone, uh, a global hawk that was 60,000 feet in the air. That is an extraordinary mm. feat of mm -hmm. capability. Uh, so uh, Iran would stop it nothing. Uh, they have um, militias that are loyal to them all over the Middle East. Uh, our uh, really partner in the Middle East, Israel, the only democracy currently in the Middle East, uh, would be a target. Our troops in Iraq would be a target. Our troops in Syria would be a target. Uh, our uh, naval base in Bahrain would be a target. Um, uh, this would be very serious war. And yes, the United States would prevail, but to say it would be ugly is an understatement. This is the Bill Press Pod. We'll be back with Ambassador Wendy Sherman in just a moment. But first, we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, those good men and women of the AFGE, proud to get up and work for America every day. They're the people who staff our federal agencies, not just in Washington, but around the country. They serve us every day. We count on them. They never let us down. We thank them, salute them for their good work, and invite you to check out their website at afge.org. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. 
Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. To what extent is our policy in Iran being driven by Israel and Saudi Arabia? I think it is being driven primarily by the National Security Advisor of the United States and the Secretary of State and by the President of the United States, who is acceding to it. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly Israel, uh, at least the Prime Minister of Israel, did not support, support the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. Neither did Saudi Arabia. Uh, but quite frankly, I think even the President of Israel understands that war right now in the Middle East would not serve his purposes. Uh, it's not something that uh, the people of Israel uh, would really like to have rain down on them at the moment. I hope that's the case. So let's look at the other one that we mentioned, North Korea. We've had two summits. The president has had two summits with Kim Jong-un, and he keeps, uh, the, they've got this correspondence back and forth, a bromance, as, you, as, as you, the phrase that you used. What are we getting, what, did we, what have we gotten for it? Um, what progress have we made toward denuclearization in North Korea? Well, what President Trump would say is they're no longer testing, and it's true they are not testing nuclear weapons and they are not testing long-range ballistic missiles, but they have tested shorter-range missiles and they have not stopped building nuclear weapons, their missile capabilities, or their nuclear program. And they haven't destroyed any. They haven't destroyed any. So we haven't made any real progress, quite frankly. Um, The president will have, by the time uh, this is broadcast, met with the president of South Korea in Korea, will have met with the Japanese prime minister, with the uh, Chinese president. There will have been a lot of discussions about North Korea. Uh, There has been some press that a third summit is in the works. He's talked about Uh, it. He's talked about it. 
um, that there have been discussions to reach that. But to what end is not clear to me. The president was right in the Hanoi summit to walk away from the deal that Kim Jong-un put on the table, which was they would have destroyed one of their facilities if we lifted all sanctions. That wasn't a good deal. What North Korea considers denuclearization is quite different than what we consider denuclearization. We don't have agreement on what the objective is here. Uh, so I'm not sure what progress will be made by a third And summit. meanwhile, Kim Jong-un continues his policies toward his people Ab without change. Without change. Uh, and it is a uh, disastrous dictatorship. Could you say that because they're talking and not threatening fire and fury anymore, that at, at least that's better than the way, the, the, maybe the path that Donald Trump started down? Well, and he even told Rex Tillerson, don't talk to Kim Jong-un, right? It's a waste of time. Right. Certainly the Churchillian phrase, jaw, jaw is better than war, war, does apply here, uh, no doubt. Uh, but ultimately, you have to get somewhere. And uh, Donald Trump famously said the era of strategic patience, which was, in his words, the Obama administration approach to North Korea, is not his approach. But now he has said he's in no rush. He will take his time. Uh, so I'm not sure what the difference is here, except for the photo opportunities of a summit, which gives Kim Jong-un credibility on the world stage. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that's in anybody's interest. Which is what he wanted, maybe more than anything. Certainly as a start. In terms of alliances since World War II, since World War I, I guess, some of the, our most important alliances and strongest have been with our European allies. Um, and it appears that Donald Trump is systematically trying to destroy all of those ties with Germany, with France, with the UK, with NATO. It's, troubling? It's very troubling. It's quite extraordinary, in fact. Um, the Europeans have tried to keep the Iran deal together under enormous sanctions pressure by the United States and economic pressure on Europe uh, to, in fact, home to the unilateral sanctions of the United States. Um, they have been uh, brushed aside where it comes to how we're approaching China. Uh, the president has slapped tariffs on Europe as well as tariffs on China. Um, in fact, if we worked with Europe, we might be able to get some further success with China. But at every turn, the president has said, no way. Uh, the new acting secretary of defense uh, has uh, gone to uh, uh, NATO. By the way, changing day to day almost. Day to day yeah. uh, has gone to NATO to basically say, you know, you're nothing if you don't follow us on Iran policy. Uh, so it is very much uh, our way or the highway. You're only a friend uh, if uh, you do what we need you to do today. And that is a big price for America because when we need other countries, they may be there, but they won't be there in the same intensity. You know, people talk about the importance of NATO. The only time NATO has invoked Article 5, uh, which is the article that says an attack on one is an attack on all, was for the United States of America. When NATO joined us in Afghanistan uh, to support our efforts after 9-11. So NATO, historically, has been there for the United States. First and foremost, we need to be there for NATO. 
So while Donald Trump is shattering those alliances, um, there's almost nothing that Vladimir Putin would do that Donald Trump would take exception with or criticize. How do you explain that? People keep asking me, what does Putin have on Trump? Truly, someday we'll know the answer to that question, but clearly that is the question, Bill. What is this dynamic about? Was it real estate financing? Uh, was it some private uh, picadillo? I, I have no idea, but clearly something is awry here. Uh, again, um, when this is broadcast, the president will have had a meeting with Vladimir Putin at the G20. Uh, and uh, when he did his interview with Chuck Todd uh, of NBC, Chuck Todd asked him, you know, are you going to finally confront Putin about our election, about interfering with our democracy? And Trump's answer to him was, well, well do you want me to? Uh, who, who, are you kidding? Uh, of course he should confront Putin. Will Putin deny it? Of course. But the whole point is to put people on notice that you're going to take real action and do real things to stop Vladimir Putin from interfering in our democracy and making sure that we keep faith with our democracy. We saw that actually play out in Helsinki, where the president said at his news conference, um, I asked President Putin, he said he didn't do it, and of course, I have no reason not to believe him. Indeed. Stunning. Stunning. It, it actually makes me think when you said that of, um, quite frankly, painfully, uh, Senator Graham recently being asked about the most recent rape allegation against Donald Trump and him saying the president has denied it. That's enough for me. Uh, you know, it's not enough when it comes to rape and sexual assault. It's not enough when it comes to interference with our democracy to say he denied it, I'm done. As a former under, un, your undersecretary, undersecretary of yes. state, um, thinking about Helsinki, we've heard about that Donald Trump said basically, I don't need to prepare for this, I don't need to plan for this, I'll just go in on my own, me and the president, Putin, and we're just gonna talk. And How much preparation would have gone into a summit like that were President Obama? Uh, uh, an enormous amount. Uh, and the president would have been part of those briefings and part of the decision and part of laying out the strategy. I'm sure there is preparation for these summits with Donald Trump. He just doesn't pay any much attention to it. And I have no doubt that he believes fundamentally his best advisor, as he said during the campaign, is himself. And that at the end of the day, as he himself has said, he trusts his gut and nothing else. Right. Uh, let's talk about another hotspot closer to home, Venezuela. There was a time not so long ago that uh, we were warning Venezuela, watch out, Indeed. the Marines are coming, right? Um, Maduro's still in power. Right. We don't talk about it anymore. Yes, and I think the president has lost interest in Venezuela. Sort of like once a week, uh, John Bolton or Secretary Pompeo says something or tweets something. We're keeping the pressure on. Uh, we're for Guaido, uh, Latin America is behind us, we're all in this together, he, Maduro is mistreating his people, uh, but the president has clearly lost any interest because what he didn't understand is Maduro had strength, he had the backing of the military. Yes, it is good that people have come behind Guaido, 
but there are other opposition forces um, that uh, making these changes takes time. Uh, we should let our Latin American partners lead. Uh, and uh, But the president doesn't have any patience. He was looking for a quick win, and there wasn't a quick win to be had. Uh, in terms of quick and long strategy and maybe times for a change, I've been to Cuba twice. Mm. Um, and I think another singular achievement of the Obama administration was to um, begin to normalize relations with Cuba, particularly in ways that helped the Cuban people by making travel down there easier, getting money from their relatives in the United States then easier, all of which has been undone all of it. by Donald Trump. I mean, isn't it time just to recognize that Cuba, 90 miles off the coast of Florida, is not a military threat to the United States? I couldn't agree with you more on all counts. And to the point of Venezuela, imagine if we had gone down the road of normalizing relations with Cuba, which is one of the main supporters to Maduro. Uh, imagine if we had better relations with China, who has influence on Venezuela. Uh, if we had confronted Russia, but at the same time could have a real conversation with them about Venezuela, since they are an important force, we might have a different outcome in Venezuela. But in particular, if our policy toward Cuba had not sort of gone into the tank and thrown Cuba back into the arms of Russia and China and Venezuela, of Maduro, we might be in quite a different place. So uh, you've been very generous with your time, but I have to ask you now, looking ahead, where do we go from here? Or maybe a better, the more pertinent question is, can we afford another four years of this Trump foreign policy such as it is? It's a question I get asked all the time, not only by Americans, but by people in other countries. And what I say is, if President Trump only has one term, we'll have to work very hard to regain our role in the world, take care of our home, of course, the homeland, of course, uh, but also make sure that our interests are met in the world uh, so that we can take care of the homeland. But if we have another four years, the world will have inexorably changed. We will have changed, our role in it will have changed, our ability to influence world events in our interest will have changed and it will be much, much harder for us to ensure our national security, our peace, and our prosperity. And on that very sober, sober note and warning, we thank you again, Ambassador Wendy Sherman, for your time. Thank you. And for your service to our country. Thank you very much. And that's it for this edition of the Bill Press Pod. Make sure you find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We're there, everywhere. And please like, share, and leave a five-star review. If, of course, you deserve it, it certainly helps us get the word out there. Again, many thanks for joining us. We'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today.